welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and Dean, I think we would get a bit boring if we just waited here for a little while and saw what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Dean Jeffrey, and if my dog was the thing, I'd still love him. <laughs> Oh my god, it's a girl! How did I stuff that up? Wow. Uh, sorry, Harley. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, that's how you could tell if it was the thing. Yeah. <laughs> if it suddenly got a thing, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> and speaking of which, today we'll be breaking down the 1982 horror classic, The Thing. Dean, how are you, mate? Oh, I've been better. Have you now? I Is have. it because of this ridiculous, ridiculous weather we had today? It was 35 degrees at 8 o'clock this morning. It was insane. It peaked here at about 40 degrees today. I was, nah, I was like, stuff this. I, like, you can't do anything. It's oh. just so unbearable. Yeah, it was. So, I had a uh, a slower day at work today, I will say. Slower than usual. I did a lot of audits, you know, a lot of, <laughs> is this cool room cold enough today, guys? <laughs> Could be cooler. Is that dust I see on that freezer ceiling? Let me get a closer look. <laughs> oh, your day at work couldn't have been any worse than mine here. The power went out here today. Unlucky. Yeah. So, we have brought out the generators, obviously. Oh, we, yeah. are, we do have the candles out. We've got the backup generator going. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's uh, ancient today, <laughs> ancient recording. So, if the generator does go missing, we're in trouble. That's right. Yeah, so let's hope that doesn't happen. Indeed. All right, Hendo, what else are we doing today? Well, after our breakdown, we're going to be looking at the answers that you, the listeners, gave to our question of the week, which is, what is your favourite Kurt Russell film? Which is also our top five, as usual. We'll also take a look at the results of our Pod v Pod 13, where you and I had a battle. That'll be an interesting result when we take a look. Should be. And then we'll take a look at the next round in the best 1950s film tournament we've got. And after all that, it is my turn to choose the next movie to break down. I cannot wait. Give me the update. All right, Hendo, what's the update on the IMDb Top 250 list? All right, looking into the top little section here, Spider-Verse has not moved. Really? Stayed at 26. Damn. Infinity War has dropped a couple of spots, down from 56 to 59. We did have the debut of Anne Hadham last week. It's gone down from 114 to 124. That was a movie from last year, so you'll probably see that gradual decline. Speaking of a decline, Bohemian Rhapsody has started to decline now. What? Maybe due to the, the fact- The Golden Globe yes. Best Drama Winner is declining? And the new Best Picture nominee. Maybe maybe because it's been nominated now, people are like, oh, I might go check this out. And this is why it started to drop. In fairness, I think it had very successful uh, box office numbers. So, I don't think it wasn't getting seen. <laughs> It's gone from 136 to 157. Nice. Green Book has debuted into the the list now, speaking of which. Fucking Green Book. 179 where it's at. Ah, that won't last. Speaking of 2018 films, Roma is out of the list now. Ah! It's little little stay. Uh, And as we look right down at the bottom of the list, out of the list now is Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, and Akira. And in its spot is Eight and a Half and Lagan, Once Upon a Time in India. Maybe that will be the next movie you pick. Could be. And now that I've got this bloody challenge going on with Paul, why don't we just take a look? Just just give me your number. And we're still tight here. 35 each. Really? Yeah, it's a close battle. Have you guys sort of decided maybe to just... Take a week off. <laughs> like, no one's no, watching a movie. No. no one will watch another movie because, until the other person watches one. <laughs> because, yeah, we'll both be lying. We're like, no, nah, just take some time off and then, mate, <laughs> just keep going. No, nah, we're oh, neck and neck. I forgot to log these yeah. five that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As always, we will be spoiling the movie The Thing from the get-go. So, if you haven't seen it, beware. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break here and give you a couple of promos from some amazing podcasts out there, and we'll be back on the other side with The Thing. Do you ever wonder when Spider-Man goes to the bathroom if the toilet paper sticks to his fingers? Do you ever wonder why Superman wears his underwear outside of his pants? My name is Imran. My name is Anthony. He's the jock! And he's the nerd. And we're your hosts for the Jock and Nerd Podcast, where we sometimes try to attempt to answer these questions. This is a full spoiler podcast, and we swear a lot. Check it out for awesome geek news, interviews, and comic book reviews. Visit jockandnerd.com. We are your superhero TV, movies, and comic book culture curators. Boom. Jockandnerd.com. Jockandnerd! Hi, we're the Grave Girls from Grave Girls Podcast. I'm your host, Hawthorne. And I'm Amaryllis. Every week we watch a different horror film, and I find a scary story that goes with it. That will definitely leave you shaking in your boots. And if you aren't wearing boots, my true crime case and murder will scare the pants off you. And then you'll just be naked, and that's just that's just a fun time. So listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to check out our website at grave-girls.com. We love you all in case we die. Bye! Twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live. Inside. Where no one can see it. Or hear it. Or feel it. So, The Thing, released in 1982, starring Kurt Russell, Wilfred Brimley, and Keith David. I think those are the three people that you would think about with this film. I mean, who is Wilfred Brimley? Not who is he in this film, but do you know him from other films? No, but he's a name that I recognise for some reason. Okay. I, yeah, I've heard his name. I know Keith David. Oh, Keith David's big. Yeah, he is. I think Wilfred Brimley was big in that time. Okay. Maybe he was on a TV show? Regardless. Yeah. Directed by John Carpenter. Yes. What do you think of John Carpenter as a director? I had a look through his films. I've seen hardly any of them. A lot of them do not look like my cup of tea at all. Oh, John Carpenter has done Halloween. Yeah, he did the original Halloween. Yeah, that's right. Which was his big breakout one. Of course, yeah. Can't think of anything else he's done. I mean, I think he did all the Escape from LA's, Escape from New York, whatever they are. Okay, maybe like Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, that one as well. Okay, another Kurt Russell. Oh, he loves Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, Escape from New York and all that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The old John Carpenter, Kurt Russell duo. Yep. Well, that might not have been because the role of McCready was originally written for either Harrison Ford or Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I saw that. And I saw Nick Nolte was almost going to get it. Even Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, went to Kurt Russell. So, good on him. Good for Kurt Russell. Oh, very good. This would be one of his first He looks so young in this film, doesn't he? To be fair, I was watching this and at one of the scenes I was looking at him and I'm like- Gee, he looks like the guy from the Black Mirror episode with the, the play test, the bearded guy who gets who goes to the the games place and he gets the horror. He's the horror game, yeah. yeah. And I realized like ten seconds later that that is Wyatt Russell, his son. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So that worked perfect because he looks exactly like him in this film. That's good as. Yeah. But this film had a budget of roughly fifteen million dollars, which is huge for a horror film. Yeah, apparently back then Halloween and like Friday the Thirteenth were about three hundred thousand, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, for Friday a budget. the Thirteenth had a budget of seven hundred thousand. Halloween had a budget of three seventy five. Yeah, so jumping to fifteen is that's enormous. I think a lot of it has to do with the big practical effects they've got in this film and all these big puppets and all that stuff that that they had. I think that is a big chunk of the budget here. Yeah, regardless though, fifteen million budget. 
$13.7 million grossed in America. This was not a successful film. No, and I read that this is actually John Carpenter's favourite movie that he's made, and the critical and commercial failure of this actually hurt him the most. And what he found particularly scathing was that the original film's director, this is a remake of the original The Thing from Outer Space, he came out publicly panning it, saying, if you want blood... Go to the slaughterhouse. It's a terrific commercial for J and B Scotch. Yeah. This, Ouch. Yeah. This was this got some scathing reviews out there. Like I read stuff saying uh, John Carpenter was never meant to direct science fiction horror movies. He's better suited to direct traffic accidents, train wrecks, public flogging. Oh. Like whoa, calm down. Mm. Interestingly, this actually came out on the exact same day that Blade Runner came out, and that had a similar thing where. On initial release, it was not received well at all and has later go on to be regarded as an all-time classic. Yeah, exactly. I also saw that part of the reason they thought it didn't succeed was because a couple of weeks before that, a I guess a better interpretation of an alien coming down, oh, E.T. came yeah. out, which was a massive success. Enormous. And that was the biggest film of the 80s. Yeah. So, you can see why this didn't get well received. Yeah, and they just, they contrast so hard to each other as well. You got E.T., this super family-friendly staple versus this ultra-violent- Oh, yeah. Like, horror film about an alien. It's it's rough. They were going to do some shots in this film that were using stop-motion animation, but Carpenter didn't want to do that because it said it looked too fake, and I'm glad he didn't do that because some of the monsters in this movie are amazing. All of them. They're all incredible. Oh, my God. This is your first time watching it as well, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Wow. All right. I'm I'm really interested to hear your fresh takes here. I watched this film about uh, three years ago. For the first time? Yeah, for the first time. So, my memory was a little hazy. I knew knew the ending. I knew how, you know, some of the characters got dispatched and that. But, yeah, there's a couple of things that I'd forgotten about this film. And it was good to to check it out again. Yeah, yeah. See, for me, what I knew going in was- I knew that very famous scene of when he's doing the paddles on yeah. the chest mm-hmm. and it opens up and it bites him. I knew that, obviously, because I've seen it on a million YouTube clips. Yeah. And I also knew the scene with the Norwegian guy yelling in a foreign language at these guys with the dog. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And when I went in, I thought, oh, I thought that was the end of the movie. I thought I was spoiled on the end of this movie that- the dog was going to get away and that was the end. I was very, very, very happy when that's like the first scene of the film almost. Well, the 2011 version of The Thing turned out it was a prequel to this and that film ends right at that point with the dog running away. Mm. It's funny. I didn't know there was a prequel from 2011, but as I was watching, I thought, gee, they could easily make a prequel with this other crew. Mm. Like, it would fit so nicely. Yeah. So, I'm not surprised it got made. And even if it didn't fit nicely, I'm sure they would have found a way to make a prequel, because that's what they do these days. Yeah. So, the special effects guy here, Rob Botton, he was on a- he was- he did a lot in this film. I have never seen a makeup artist's name appear so frequently in a bloody IMDb trivia section. (laughs) His name is everywhere. This guy is credited for doing so much. And amazingly, he was only 22 years old when he started on this project. He worked himself to the bone on he, this film. This, this guy is by no means an expert in the field at this stage. But in looking at his uh, filmography, what he's known for, like he's all over like Seven, Fight Club, yep. Annihilation. Like he is, he would be one of the, the most well-known, I would say. Especially after hearing that he worked himself so hard that he got diagnosed 
for exhaustion, heart, like during the post production of this movie, and had to go to hospital. Yeah, like he's committed. Very much so. Entertainment Weekly ranked this as the twelfth scariest movie of all time, which is hard for me to judge because it's not. I, mean, I, I don't. I don't see a lot of movies as scary. I don't know. I just with with horrors in general, I'm I'm not kind of, I'm not the kind of guy who just freaks out at all these yeah, things. So see, I can't I, even gauge based off scariness. I mean, I, I think I find some movies scary for sure. I did not find this movie scary at all, though, and it could be a sign of the times. Because could be because I watched it at twelve o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> that probably probably helped. didn't help with the with the curtains open. You know, no, no, no. I, I put the curtains closed this time. But I imagine seeing it in the eighties, early eighties, in a cinema, having never seen anything like this before. I can understand why it has the acclaim that it does. Yeah, well, it's on this list, isn't it? With an average of eight point one over three hundred twenty three thousand ratings, it is sitting at one hundred sixty four on the list. So. Not a bad little showing for the thing here. Not bad at all. All right, Dean, hit us with a plot summary. All right. A research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. Short and sharp. That's all you need. Yes. All right, let's start it off. The titles. Music. Ennio Morricone. I did not know that. What the fuck? (laughs) Even more what the fuck. He got nominated for a Razzie for worst musical score of the year. What did you think of the music in this? I mean, it's not Morricone classic. It's not not his usual thing. Admittedly, all I know him from is westerns. Yeah. But I thought it was good. I thought the music, that, that beat, it really fits with the tone of the film. Yeah, I thought the music was great in this film. Like, it just felt really eerie and like haunting as well like it, it, made, me, it made me feel uncomfortable in certain in certain scenes I thought Ennio Morricone did very well with this music and you're right I associate Morricone just westerns that's that's all every time I think of Morricone I just think of and rightly so yeah <laughs> I actually read that interestingly he used some of the um, unused music he wrote for this film in the score for The Hateful Eight. Oh, did he yeah interesting yeah, I thought so too. So, the first shot we get of this film is a spaceship coming down to Earth. I was a little worried. CG, not not the best. I didn't like the fact they showed this. I think this movie would have been a ton better if it- A, a ton, better, ton yeah. better? Really? Yeah, and what I mean by that is if they just took out that small little shot of the spaceship coming down to Earth and started it off with a helicopter going over the ice- you would have this first third not knowing what this thing is. But you know now, it's an alien. And what else could it be? You, it, you don't need it told to you straight away. If you had this little mystery for the first third, because you do find out the big spaceship, they do find the spaceship yeah. you know, a third of the way through this film. If you're watching this for the first time and you don't know what's going on, you have that mystery and that, that, that I think that in itself is kind of scary as well. You don't know what is going on here. What is, it, what is this dog? Why is this dog so prominent? And then it starts like morphing. Like, Holy shit. Like, but if you see the fact that there's an alien race that's come down, you, you know what's going on. Okay, there's an alien. They're going to come kill them. I I feel like it. I, mean, d- I, I disagree. Okay, I didn't I didn't feel like that hurt the film at all. I don't think it really matters whether or not it's an alien or some sort of monster from Earth. Yeah, but what, what I mean, difference does it make? I mean, I would rather it not be told to us. I would rather ha- figure it out for yourself. You don't think it sets up at the start where the first shot is of the stars? And it's like, all right, space. You get the spaceship, go past, and then the thing, the word burns into the- I think it really sets up the, okay, there's something down there. Let's learn about it. I think it really gets you involved from the first opening shot. Whereas if you miss that, 
It's just like, oh, there's this dog. Like, who fucking cares? Whereas if you can think, oh, gee, there's some relation to this alien spaceship, it, it gets you in more. I can see your point there. I, I think they could have gone the way of mystery. You don't, you can't say, oh, why? Who cares about this dog? They're actively chasing this dog, shooting it from the air. And then the very next scene, he's out of the helicopter, try, like, danger, endangering himself, shooting at the dog while there's all these other people there speaking in a different language so he wouldn't know what he's talking about. That would intrigue me. I'd be like, why, why is he so hell-bent on killing this dog? What is so important about this dog? Hmm. But even at this point, it's not like you know that the dog is an alien. Don't you? No, you don't. Like, you really don't. I don't know, maybe it's my second viewing that kind of hinders it. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's my thought process, is that I already know it's an alien now. Yeah. Maybe that's lowered it for me. In terms of in terms of my thought about the dog. Okay. Either way, like, you as a, as a first-time watcher, seeing that yeah. is obviously- For me- Yeah. It, it got me in straight away. Cool. Okay. And that's good for a first-time viewer. It's, it's, wor- it's worked. It's obviously worked. Yeah. Much better than the way you would have done it. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Mister, I can make it better than John Carpenter over here. <laughs> I'm one of those dickheads who sent that, the reviews into the start. Terrible. You should have done this. <laughs> I, did, I did love the title, Antarctica Winter 1982. Is there much of a difference between Antarctica Winter and Antarctica Summer? Isn't it always shit and cold? Well, yeah, but maybe, like, oh, why am I trying to defend this? Like, <laughs> you, I don't know. It's in my, just my genetics here. You say something and I have to contradict you. <laughs> yeah. My only argument there would be that maybe in the summer it's not negative 50, it's negative zero. And I, I imagine I imagine the seasons would last, like, six months. You'd have six months of summer, six months of winter. Even just, it would play to the audience. So, I guess, I guess that's why it matters. Because it, it should be dark, but it's not dark. I think it's more so it gets it, it. It would honestly make you feel a little colder if you saw Antarctica summer. You're like, that's a little contradictory. Why put it? anything? Antarctica winter makes it worse. A- it's Antarctica. You In don't need winter. to stipulate that it's winter. But just that little. You know, it's going to be cold. Yeah, it's going to be snowing. But if you saw Antarctica 1982 and Antarctica winter 1982, you would honestly look. Oh, that's going to be colder. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure about that, to be honest. All right. I did love this first scene, though, as we've said. Shooting at, shooting at the dog. Explain to me why this helicopter would not just fly a fair way in front of it, yeah. land, a guy gets- This guy is a terrible shot. And then he starts throwing, exp- like, grenades. He's not even close. You, I don't think we're supposed to go with the fact that this guy is an expert marksman and he knows what he's doing. He gets out the, the helicopter, picks out the grenade, and it flies- <laughs> Let's see, come blows up the helicopter. That was pretty funny. I was like, seriously, did and that even just then, happen? He's got the rifle, goes to shoot the dog from not too far away, and shoots the guy in the leg. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think we're supposed to believe this guy's an expert marksman or knows exactly what he's doing. So I looked up what this guy was actually saying, and it translates to, get the hell out of there. That's not a dog. It's some sort of thing. It's imitating a dog. It isn't real. Get away, you idiots. Well, the Norwegians would have been sitting there going, ha I know what's going on. I wonder if they changed that. Surely, if it was released in Norway, they wouldn't have that given away from the jump. Well, haven't they already given it away with the alien spaceship coming down? Oh, according to you, the whole movie's ruined now. I didn't say- What are you talking about? I said it would have been better. Stop putting words in my mouth. What did you say? A ton better or something. <laughs> yes, righto. But before the helicopter actually does land, we get to the, the station here. We get a couple little scenes of all the guys just doing their normal stuff, like playing ping pong and hanging out. 
You got Kurt Russell's McCready. Can hold on. Can I just ask something? Yeah. Do you think McCready is spelt wrong? What do you mean? Well, there's different ways you can spell diff- the same word. Because it's spelled everywhere I look, it's spelled M A C R E A D Y, which to me reads as McReady. No. I think it should be M small C large C R E A D Y. It really annoyed me. What, what What is this big problem with the guy's last name? He can't change his last name. It's not pronounced right. To be fair. It's McReady. To be fair, for years, I didn't know if your last name was Jeffrey or Jeffrey. Was there an E? Was, there, was it R-E-Y? Was it E-R-Y? I, could, I couldn't tell. Uh, the bane of my existence. <laughs> yes, that's Jeffrey E-R-Y. They write R-E-Y. No, E-R-Y. So no which, one, one which one is it? Yeah. Dean. <laughs> <laughs> it is Dean, isn't it? No, it's actually Dan. <laughs> It's the Dan and Dan show. <laughs> well, I was actually supposed to be Dan, but it was a typo on my birth certificate, and I went to Dean. But yeah, McCready. McCready, playing chess. With the old computer, how do you think you would have gone against the, the computer version of chess? Because I, I know you like your, your chess. Yes, I do. Uh, I think- I think I, I enjoyed me thumping you in a game of chess. I think I would have set it to very easy and <laughs> felt really proud of myself. <laughs> I, I think this guy is so stupid, though. You're in, you are in Antarctica. You are cut off from everyone. He has this game, this console that can take up hours yep. of his life in this area of nowhere, and he just pours his fucking drink into it because he lost. Like, Cheating bitch. What a sore loser. <laughs> like, is that the first time he's lost? Yeah. Don't set it to extra hard, then. But yeah, like we said before, the helicopter does arrive and this dickhead Norwegian gets out, goes to throw a grenade. What's he planning to do? Blow every person up there? Like, he doesn't care about those people. He just wants to kill that dog. Mm. Which you can understand. Mm. You can understand him not caring about killing these other people to make sure the thing's dead. Yeah. Which is what happens with McCready and everyone at the end of the film. That's what happens with the doc very early on. Yeah. Like, it it makes sense. So, yeah, I bought that. But what does he do? Does he go to throw it and it like falls out of his hand? Well, he's got gloves. It's obviously icy, so he's got it. He goes to throw it, and in the back swing, it just slips out. He kills his poor mate. Now, you up. know who else? You know who else is dumber? His mate for trying to dig it up. Yeah, run, you idiot! <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess because I, I thought, oh, this must be the, the only helicopter, the only way to get out. No, no, McCready's got his own helicopter. Yeah, just get away from it. Huh. Nah, Norwegians, idiots. Apologies to all the Norwegians out there. Maybe that's what t- maybe that's what time in the Antarctica does to you. It makes you go crazy and yeah, stupid. You get the the cabin fever. That's right. I did like seeing the guy on the radio trying to reach someone. Oh, he is a negative Nancy. This guy. Oh, he's not happy. <laughs> but then, then he says, "Maybe we're at war with Norway." <laughs> Which, if you're cut off from everyone and you got these Norwegian guys just chasing you, they shoot one of your guys. There's explosions. It's like, hey, what the fuck's going on out there? <laughs> Are we at war? <laughs> this guy sounds like he's terrible at his job. Like, even when they come back for the second time, oh, how's it going? Oh, there's no chance. Look, we've got no chance of doing anything. Like, well, then, sh- like, shut up. Like, just, he's like these, the other guy, I forgot who it was. I think it was Gary, maybe. He's like, I don't care. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Like, negativity and just sitting there going, oh, this is pointless. Mm. is not going to help. Yeah. But Doc and McCready decide they're going to go check out the Norwegian station. They only say it's about an hour away. So, these guys, they're not, not too far away from each other. No. No, it's amazing they hadn't gotten together for beers earlier. <laughs> what is McCready's role here? Is he the, he's the is, pilot? He's he is the pilot. Okay, yeah, he is the pilot because it does have like everyone on this uh, crew does have a specific job to do. What are they there for? Did I miss that? Scientific research. Oh, okay. The the general, the very broad. <laughs> don't ask any more questions. Yeah. Scientific. This is research. not important. They are just there. <laughs> I love how there's lots of focus on the dog. Just just shots from the dog's perspective. It's like, why do they keep showing this dog? Why is he sitting there watching them? Why do we care that he's there right now? I would argue this is 
one of the greatest acting performances from a dog we've ever seen. How quickly you forget about Beethoven, my friend. I don't like Beethoven. <gasps> really? Yeah. You didn't like it when you were growing up? I mean, no. Really? Yes. Not a, not a Beethoven fan? No, nah, I'm more of the uh, Milo and Otis, Homeward Bound. Oh, the animals that talk with voiceover. Yeah. Did Milo and Otis talk? Yes. Uh, the whole thing is like a narrator. Yeah, I was yeah, I was thinking that that's the one that where they talk. But going back to this dog. Yes. Don't you honestly, don't you think it's a fantastic dog? I mean, it's a very well-trained dog, yes. It is a Norwegian dog named Jed and is half wolf, half Malamute. Cool. You really did not think. You you're looking at me like, yeah, it's a dog. You didn't think this dog was really really good. He's very well-trained. He's been told, "Sit, stay." Yes. Come here. Stop. Yes. Well-trained dog, as okay. are most dogs in movies. Why are you such a dog hater? What? Just because you are a like overboard dog lover, like you, you have four kids. I'm telling you, <laughs> and your dog is number one. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I'm telling. You, all, the- right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> move on, move on. All right, so we get Stevie Wonder's Superstition playing, and apparently they did not have the license for this song when they released this film. No, they did not. They had to change this song in later releases. Mm-hmm. Finally, got the license <laughs> and brought it back to this song. I did really like this song. And I like the way that we get these shots of these empty hallways yes. and the empty rooms. Like, it's not- Like, Carpenter has really taken his time to set up the emptiness and the isolation of this place that they're in. Absolutely. And I, and I really did appreciate that. And then, and then- You get the dog. Then we get the dog, like, creeping through the door, just looking out real slowly, assessing the situation, coming slowly. Like, it's, it's eerie. And then he walks into the room. You get the silhouette of uh, this someone. Is, this is one of my favourite shots of the film. Like, you get this- Yeah, as you say, we get- We see this shadow on the wall inside and the music is playing. You know, even even the name of the song, like, very superstitious, all yeah. this sort of stuff. It's just like, okay. And the dog walks in and that's the end of the scene. Yeah, like, I love they don't it. show it. And Carpenter actually deliberately wanted to be unclear who was in there. So, he did not use one of the cast members on set. He just used someone else. Well, the thing is- I forgot who this person was. Like, I, when he gets to the blood test and that, I forgot who it was. Yeah, I actually thought it was Charles the whole time. I thought it was Gary. And the silhouette was re- very reminiscent of someone without a beard. Okay. And so, I, I eliminate- I, he, he looked- Like, just from the silhouette, I actually thought it was clean-shaven old man Gary. Yeah. I was like, okay. Like, and judge, and when it got close to the blood test, when he's sitting there, I'm like, okay, it's definitely him. So, you can imagine my surprise when it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but- and that's good. And that's good. The fact that he didn't have one of the actors. Yeah, yeah, it works perfect. Keeps you in that mystery. But now we get to Doc and McCready at the Norwegian place, and there's this is this is this is graphic. This is Isn't rough. It? Like this this slowly frozen blood. You got all these blood icicles sticking yeah, down and the his throat. throat. I couldn't work out. Like, had he killed himself? He's got the he's got the scalpel in his hand. Okay, so he had. He but had how did he get so far through his neck? Yeah, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, uh, it looked. Oh, it's very. Very, why very you, intimidating. Why would you do your wrist and your neck? Surely you'd just pick one. If you're able to cut your neck that way, surely you'd just do that. Well, that, that's what leads me to believe, like, did someone else do this as well? Maybe. I don't know. But it is very- It's very chilling to it's look a, at. It's a very cool effect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And coupled with the, the music as well. Like, this- this I noticed the music a lot in this scene. It was very unnerving, very uncomfortable. Mm. What did you think of this huge bath thing? The ice. The ice coffin. Yeah. Well, this you find out this is this is where the thing was. This is the the thing they've un unfrozen, yeah, defrosted. Yep. And so I, I like I didn't know what the hell this was the first time. And when when Mac walks up to it and sees, he, he has this reaction like, "Oh my god!" And I was waiting like for something gruesome in there. 
and they never show it. And I was like, oh, is that it? It's just this big block of ice. I thought, what am I missing here? Yeah, but you do find out. You do find out, but I'm not minutes. sure why he had this this massive reaction to it. They're in Antarctica. Well, it looks ice a little, is it looks not a little the craziest weird. thing no, to see. No, but they have this it? big block of ice with a, a big scoop taking out. Like, what is this thing? And coupled with, like, you know, the flayed bodies, and like, it would look a little weird. Yeah, and they go outside and they see this- Oh, yeah. Just deformed thing. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's great. Like, in terms of a practical thing to look at, it looks fantastic. And even when the when they head back and they've obviously taken the deformed body with them, but you just see the dog sitting at the window, just mm. looking at them. Just watching. Great acting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, yeah, looking at this deformed thing on the table, that morphed face, that's, mm. that's like, nightmarish. Like, it's- Not scary, though. Oh, I'm- de- Like- you're the one saying you're never scared and you've just described it as nightmarish. Do you ever have nightmares, Hendo? Uh, if I do, I don't remember them. Because at this point, though, when they are looking at this deformed thing on there, I was a little disappointed with the character development that we hadn't gotten so far. With who? Anyone. I hadn't, like, apart from McCready and Doc, I didn't know anyone's name. Like, there's only 12. There's a lot of them. There's 12 guys. Well, originally, I, I think I saw that they were going to have, like, a scene for each person, like, introducing them. Yeah. And that may have affected the pacing, mm. and I get why they wouldn't. And that, that's the thing, though. This film is not a character-driven movie at all. It's no. about this- Thing. This thing, yeah. yeah. But I just felt like you, like- you think about a movie like Predator, which came out in the 80s as well. That whole team, everyone is so well-developed and recognisable. Whereas in this one, even going throughout the movie, I was still- I had no idea what some of these guys were named and what their motivations were. Like, they, they weren't defined characters for me. Okay, the thing with the Predator is, though, the, the team- The thing with the Predator. Yeah, that'd be a good it. movie. Would it? The thing no, versus of course the not. It'd be like Alien versus Predator. <laughs> with the Predator, the team is a lot smaller and you have a fair chunk of the start of just them doing their, you know- Hostage collection and yeah. all that stuff. The Predator doesn't come into it until, what, uh, 20, half an hour into the film? Mm. Whereas this is setting up the thing from the get-go. Yeah. So, and the thing is with these characters, like, I think uh, visually they all look a lot different, so I could tell who was who. And I picked up their names as we went along. Like, the names, trying to remember 12 names in the span of 20 minutes, half an hour, it's going to be a hard feat. So, it didn't bother me that I didn't know their names. I knew who each person was. I knew what their basically their role was and what they were doing. Oh, okay. See, I, I didn't. Okay. I could tell who was who. Okay. So, yeah, that was fine for oh. me. But they end up doing the autopsy on this, this thing. Yeah. And you've got Wilford Brimley's doc here who's pulling out all these organs. And these are real animal organs here. And apparently, he was the only cast member here who wasn't grossed out by it because he was actually an experienced hunter. Oh, okay then. I thought he was going to say something like, yeah, these are all actual organs, but they're like, they're bunched up. They're all in one spot. Like, why is the heart not up here? Why is the intestines not down here? He seems to be pulling them from the exact same spot. I thought that's what they were going to say, but turns out it wasn't. Yeah. But they get to nighttime here. They're all just hanging out, watching TV, smoking some doobs. Yeah, and one of them, like, freaks out because the dog walks under the table. Maybe like, he's not used to it. Like, maybe, ah, maybe get, this, get this dog back with the Maybe others. he's high. But they put the dog back in the cage with the other dogs. Yeah. And this is where we get the the dog going a bit berserk and opening his face up. Yeah. Yeah, when that face opens up, like, we talk about great acting. I don't know how. <laughs> how did this dog do that? How? You wouldn't see Beethoven do this. <laughs> no, it was, it was amazing. Like, you see these tentacle things just 
flailing about independently. It's it's very. Did you know that this creature was actually done by Stan Winston, and he actually took over for a small portion here because. Rob Botton was actually in hospital for, you know, exhaustion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he didn't want to take any screen credit away from Rob, so he declined to be credited and he got a little thank you at the end of the credits. Yeah. I did like the touch of the other dogs in the cage going absolutely crazy and having that other dog try and bite the yeah. fence apart. Like, get, get the hell out of there. It's like, Jesus, how did they do that? And as this is happening, obviously, Clark- the dog handler, he comes back in. Just immediately opens the gate. Yeah, like, and, it, and, it's, and it's dark. And you're like, oh, what is going to happen here? Yeah. Yeah, you think you, there's ve- it's a very good chance you could just see, like, tentacles just come and grab him by the face. Yeah. But no, all the dogs that, that haven't been mutilated, they, they run, run out, out of there. They I get thought it. I saw, like, a thing run out as well, but nah. it never came back, so I don't think it did. But McCready shows up with his shotgun. Hits the fire alarm first. Gets everyone there. Yes. Takes, them, takes a while to start shooting at these things. If I saw this... Weird creature default. I would just start unloading bullets. They they seem to take a while before they realize they should do something. Enough time for the thing to break through the roof and get out. Hmm. It appears that the shotgun bullets have no effect on it at all. But they didn't know that. No, but you know who did? The Norwegians. Well, how do they know? They never hit it. No, but they're still they've they've experienced the same sort of thing that we're about to see now. Ah, they're yeah, a crew yeah. in a in a station. Yeah. This thing has taken over and killed everyone except the two guys. They 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 don't they could do that themselves. Now I did some research. Oh, did you? Because it is odd that these guys who know what this thing is are shooting it like this would kill it. And the argument that I saw as to why they could be is that the thing is always going to try and save itself and adapt, okay? Yeah. So, if they, if the thing is near this, this other encampment with these guys watching and gets shot, it's going to act as though a dog would act being shot so that it would get taken in and cared for by this other team. Yeah, okay. But still doesn't explain why these Norwegians are shooting at it. So, anyway, they get this burnt-up creature that they, they manage to get the flamethrower on. Gee, they put it out quickly, though, don't they? That's what I'm thinking. Like, how do you know what's going on? Just, just let it burn. Yes. <laughs> like, they put it out. It's a few seconds that it's on fire, and then they, they extinguish it. Yeah. But, God. Well, they don't know any better. They see it slumped to the ground, stop moving. Mm. But they carve it up, and this is where they talk about how it was- We basically get an explanation as, as to what the thing is about. Like, it- yeah, you it had- absorbs, it imitates, it yeah. like it digests and You had the dog like growing inside it almost. When they do yeah. the autopsy and open it up, there's like you see the head of the next dog about to come yeah. through. And this is where you start to see like hints of paranoia start to set in, especially with Blair, who figures out like he explains it to everyone, like this is imitating. It could have easily it can easily assimilate people. And this is where he starts to get a little curious about Clark, the the dog guy. He's like, How long were you with this dog for? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, and Clark freaks yeah. out of it, like, hey, why are you asking me? Yeah. It's like, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. We get this quick little scene where they're watching the Norwegian videos of what they were doing. Yeah. And even one of them says, like, why are we watching this? It's pretty boring. Yeah. But they do figure out that they were blowing stuff up there, which really wasn't part of their research. So, they, yeah. they're curious and they head out there to find out what they were- They, they figure out where they were doing it on the map. So, they head yep. to that area. Yeah. And that is where they find the big giant spaceship that we saw at the start. Yes. The one you didn't want to see. Well, I've seen it now. But they also show here that they've found the thing in the ice coffin that you were talking about. They've cut that out and they've yep. went to defrost. And this is this is where we also find out that it's been like 100,000 years mm. that it's been there. And they've actually, you know, accidentally brought this thing out, defrosted it, and it's ready to take over everyone now. Okay, we get this really good scene with Blair at his computer and it shows very clearly how this thing works, which I think is necessary for the viewer to have this- the whole thing is about it can imitate anyone. So, it does need to set up this suspicion in the group for the audience of who could be the thing now. Uh, they, they, yeah, like you say, they show it for the audience. Like, there's a, 
a lot of stuff on this very old computer that, I don't know, it's weird that it would come up the way it does. It's kind of like it's, it's talking to the audience like, Probability that one or more team members is infected, 75%. Like, that's not going to come up, honestly. Like, like, that's the, awesome. The amount, the amount of time before the entire world is assimilated, 27,000 hours. Which is a lot longer than I expected. That's over three years. Oh, plenty of time. Like, I thought it would have been like, oh, real quick. But that's- three years is a fucking long time. Well, maybe it's going to take a long time for this one assimilation or multiple simulations to leave Antarctica. <laughs> three years. Two and a half of which it will take swimming across the yes. ocean to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that it did this, though, because it, the movie now becomes more of a mystery. Oh, the stakes are raised here. Yeah. Like, everyone the, is a suspect. The level of suspense now that's been added has just yeah, increased exponentially. Paranoia is the big unnerving horror of this film. Like, hmm. the practical effects of the, what the thing looks like, it's very good to look at, and it is scary in its own right, but the just the unnerving paranoia that everyone gets set upon here of not trusting anyone and anyone could just turn at the dime. Mm. That's where, like, that horror sets in for the film. But they stupidly do not set this other thing on fire that they've had. No, nah, they just casually leave it alone with another guy on like, a table. Oh, this is the fine of the century. we got to take it back. Like, when are they leaving? I did like I did like where they put the grey cloth over it and then it moves while they're not looking. I was like, yeah, okay, here we go. Yeah, and, and still here, you see, like... The tentacles start going down. You don't see what happens. You don't see the tentacle come out and grab this Bennings guy. It just cuts to them talking in the tractor or whatever. Yeah. Uh, McCready and Fuchs. And then the radio guy. <laughs> Windows. Windows. That's right. Yeah. So, we have a Windows and a Mac in this uh, film. Coincidence. It is. It is. Funny coincidence. Though. It is. Windows goes in and that's where you get that quick little glimpse of the thing assimilating Bennings. Yeah. And that's all you need. You don't need to see everything right now. It's it's good that they take their they time. to it. Yeah. Even when they chase the Bennings assimilation out into the snow and he's still it's, deformed with his yeah. hands. You know, they know what to do. They set him on fire. Yes, there's that, that weird scream squeal that he does. Yeah. Yeah, it's intense. It's great. It is great. And they see here Blair running out of the chopper. I thought he was going to blow it up. So did I. Like, I was thinking at this point, I thought, okay, he's destroyed it so that no one can get out. But that's not what he was doing. No. He was taking parts so he could build his own spaceship. Yeah. Very weird. I know. Like, it makes sense because he's obviously um, assimilated, but it's weird. See, I didn't know when he got assimilated because if he's assimilated, why is he going on this research and finding out about the, the creature? I thought he got assimilated when he was in the tool shed. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. And a lot, of, a lot of the stuff I've read about this, it's designed that way. The movie's designed so that you don't know when anyone is assimilated. Because when he goes nuts and starts shooting at everyone... I didn't, I didn't think he was assimilated there, but m- I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? But he's, yeah, as yeah. you say, he starts yeah, he smashing is, up yeah. all the communi- communication equipment. And you can understand where he's coming from. Maybe that's, he's using that as a cover. Yeah. Maybe the, the, the assimilation here is destroying everything to, to stop people from getting away and acting like he's just going crazy. Yeah. Acting like he's got the cabin fever just to prevent the others from leaving. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense now. See, this is, this is why we talk. <laughs> I knew there had to be a reason. <laughs> <laughs> but they do get to Blair and knock him out, end up tying him up out in the tool shed. And he says to McCready, Watch Clark. What? I said, watch Clark. And watch him close. Do you hear me? Now, that in our own minds now just makes us even weary, even more wary of him. Like, all we have to do is hear that. We're like, ooh, uh-huh. got to watch out for him. Like, who knows? But, I mean, you should you should expect now that it's not going to be him. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
in this movie where the whole thing's like, oh, the suspense, the mystery, who's assimilated, if you've got a character saying, oh, I think it's him, it's probably not going to be. Actually, turns out not to be him. And I gen- genuinely thought that it, he was assimilated. Yeah. But they do come up with this really good idea of taking the blood test, getting the old bags of blood that they have in the fridge and checking them against each other to see whose blood is different. Yep. But unfortunately, all the blood bags have been destroyed. Gone. Yeah. And they target the people who had access to it, who had the keys, and they do separate these people. Now, the thing is, the person who ends up being the thing here didn't have access to this. No. So, was it Blair? No. It can still be the thing. So, what what I found out is that if you look at- The theory is that the thing has put a tentacle through and slashed them all because Mm. when they open it, it all comes out then. Now, if they'd opened it, slashed it- and then closed it, you would have a lot of blood already out. But it looks like it's been slashed with all the blood still inside. And then when they open it, the blood falls out the bottom. So, it's like it's being slashed without the door being open. I.e., they didn't need a key for it. Okay. with fridges point. and whatnot, you have that rubber seal. Yeah. So, if you can get in through that, and we've seen the tentacles many times from the mm-hmm. thing, that would explain that. Okay. I'll go with that. That's good. And you can see the paranoia is in full effect here. Everyone is just getting very aggressive with each other, accusing everyone of you're the thing, you know- Essentially that. Everyone's just going off at each other. Yeah. But after a bit more, you know, pointing guns at each other and trying to sort out what's going on, they make McCready the the leader. Well, because they tie up the other leader. (laughs) Yeah, good point. But they're outside here and McCready gives this nice little speech about why he's going to do what he's going to do. I know I'm human. And if you were all these things, then you'd just attack me right now. So some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's won. There's a storm hitting us in six hours. We're going to find out who's who. I love how he, he gives this speech while he's while it's panning across all the other people there. Like, we know at least one of them is the thing. Mm. At least one. So, having a quick shot of all these people, you just start to think, like, oh, who is it? Is it you? Is it you? You don't know. You genuinely don't know. And what I love is that apparently the cast didn't know either. So, they weren't told beforehand by John Carpenter or anyone that- Hey, you're actually the thing now, so act differently. That's good. Yeah. So, everyone, no one in the cast knows until, obviously, it's revealed. Obviously, they know in those scenes. But, like, let's say let's say Blair is already being assimilated now. He was not aware. So, he's not yeah. acting any different, which is great. Yeah. So, they probably- They definitely would have shot all these scenes before the ultimate reveal. Yeah. Yeah. And they end up tying up Doc and Clark and Gary as the three main culprits uh, mm-hmm. due to- Spending some time with the dog and the, the blood bags. Yes. Yeah. And now we get to this this quieter scene, this much quieter scene with McCready by himself talking into a tape recorder. There's really not another scene like it in here. And we do get a little bit of insight into how McCready is feeling. He's just, he's, he's saying he doesn't trust anybody and he's just, he says at one point, we're all very tired. And did you see what he did next? No, I can't remember. What did he do? He actually winds back the tape. And edits over him saying we're really tired. Oh, I, heard, I saw him rewind it and play it back. I didn't know he edited it. Yeah, he winds it back, plays it up until he's about to say that, and then says, oh, we'll just need to wait and see. So, he's dele- I'm not sure who these tapes were for, though. Interesting. Yeah. 
But he definitely goes back and he's like, it's like he's shown some vulnerability there, some exhaustion that he didn't want to show. Yeah. So, he's gone back and taken it out. Okay. I thought it was was good. So, we see Fuchs here follow this something outside and he stumbles across the torn McCready shirt. Mm. And then when everyone goes out to find him, what was he like, set himself on fire or something like that. He's burnt into the ground. They're like, oh, that's Fuchs. Yeah. I guess what they're trying to set up is that he's maybe found- the real thing, and has been killed for it. But they don't- Like, the crew don't know why it's happened. They're talking about the possibilities. Maybe he did it to himself so he- Yeah. He wouldn't experience this thing. But the fact that there's this torn McCready shirt that ends up in his uh, fireplace or something in his tool shed. I mean, is this the Blair assimilation, getting out of the tool shed and running amok outside? Like, what else is it? I mean, I assume so. Yeah. I assume that he's making it look like McCready's thing. Yeah, Absolutely. But they do catch up with Blair here. They go to the tool shed and he's in there. He's made a noose. Did you notice that? There's no. a noose sitting next to him when he's saying, like, I'm no, fine I now. I can that. come back in. I can come back in. I'm fine. <laughs> I was like, no, there was, there's a noose sitting there. Like, he's ready to off himself. Jesus. So, as those guys head up to McCready's place because they realize that the light is on, hmm. we get back to the station where they're barricading the place up and Knowles ends up coming back by himself with the McCready vest. Now- this is what you're thinking, like, who can you trust here? He's coming hubba, in. Hubba, hubba. He's coming in and telling him, I saw the vest, I, I cut his line, and I, and I got back here as quick as possible. Like, I mean, is that- Sounds sus as, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Because we, we, sh- we should know that McCready is not the thing. Do, do you, would you think that, Kurt Russell, the main star, do you think he's the thing by now? Oh, a movie like this, maybe. Yeah. Did you have- So, you had no idea who, who the thing was or which no. ones were the thing? No. Okay, cool. No. So, yeah, you could have easily thought that. Yeah, it, it could easily. It could be this whole big thing, big twist at the end where he was the thing the whole time. Did you think that at some point? Yes. Yep, cool. Even now. Even now? Oh, I don't know. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll get to the ending. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about end. that at length, but- this scene where, where McCready eventually comes back and he's threatening everyone with the dynamite, I didn't buy that he was the thing now. Yeah. Because it was too early. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, this isn't- This is just over halfway. Like, we're not going to have McCready become the villain now that they're all no, chasing. No, of course not. It's, not. it's not how this movie is set up. But it's, it's definitely weird. But this other guy, he ends up fainting, heart attack- Something like that. Oh, I thought he- he's the thing. I thought he hit his head. When Maybe. he was pushed down, he hit his head on the shelf. But he's the thing. Uh, he is a simulation, so he's going yeah. like, to act like he's been knocked out. Yeah. Which leads to the iconic defibrillator scene. Yes, it does. Clear. I mean, this would have been a massive shock. For the first, if you didn't know about it and you watch this, this would have been whoa! Like that's crazy because you you're, you're too busy focused on McCready with his flamethrower, like get away from me, get away! Like the tension yeah. is over in that corner, yeah. and you get these tiny little shots of the doc trying to use the defibrillator, and then all of a sudden, boom! The chest opens up and just tears his arms off. Mm. Like the doc dies from this, obviously yeah. blood loss, I'd assume. Yeah, and just this this. This puppet thing that comes oh, alive, the head detaching itself. Yep, the flamethrower over the body, and then it can't, and then the head comes off, and it sprouts the legs and crosses. The spider legs. Yeah, I thought that thing was going to get away. I really did. I was like, oh, this is how this will go. Yeah, nah, okay, they nah, see it. They see it. Like, you little bastard! They they flame it up. That was a great scene. No, it was. It was. And 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 the paranoia is just off the chain here. So much so that McCready shoots Clark in the head for running at him with a knife. I did not expect that. No, I didn't either. I completely forgot that happened. And I thought, like when he had the the gun pointed at Charles, I thought, okay, 
I still, I was thinking he was probably the assimilated one. I thought, all right, here we go. This will make sense. When he shoots Clark, I thought, okay, that means Clark is an, an imitation. I did not think the hero of this story would shoot a guy. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I thought having McCready kill this guy would mean that he is a bad guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's the thing. He's done the right- th- McCready's done the right thing. Yeah. It turns out, like, I know he was defending himself. He was coming at him with a knife. But even one of the guys says later, like, oh, that makes you a murderer. Yeah, child says that. Yeah. Yeah. But after that, we get to the blood test scene here. We're going to draw a little bit of everybody's blood. We're going to find out who's the thing. Watching Norris in there gave me the idea that maybe every part of him was a whole. Every little piece was an individual animal with a built-in desire to protect its own life. You see, when a man bleeds, it's just tissue. My blood from one of you things won't obey when it's attacked. It'll try and survive. Crawl away from a hot needle, say. Which is my... Excellent! Funny you say that, Hendo. (laughs) It is also my... Excellent! Yeah, it's it's such a standout scene. It's so good. It's just... There's no score. It's silent. It's just the, the back and forth shots of everyone... That even the fear on their faces when they know their turns up. And yeah. even if they know they're not the thing, it's still like, oh my God, oh my God. Because you've got yeah. the flamethrower like right at them, ready to go. Yeah. And you just get those little those little sounds of like the flame just kind of like, uh, as he's heating up the needle. Yeah. And even the sound of when the needle hits the, the, no- the normal blood yeah, and the smoke, you're like, <sighs> like yeah. you, you're, you're holding your breath with them every single time he goes for one. Yeah. And he says that he's pretty sure that one of them is the Gary. thing. Gary. He thinks he's, Gary is because yeah. he's the only one left. He's like, we'll leave, we'll leave Gary to the end. And then, bang! and then the next one he does, I think it's Palmer's. It's just. Yeah. And, and I, I jumped. Like, yeah, me I jumped. too. Because I thought it was Gary. I was like, the way they set up like, okay, it'll be at the end. And then it's that next one. Yeah. I thought, gee, it was great. Because that sound the blood makes, like a scream. It's fantastic. Yeah. And then all and of then, a sudden- And yeah. then you, oh. see, you see him you see him turn. And you see Gary and Charles tied up next to him, like, holy shit, holy shit. There's so much going on that just increases the tension. And of course, the flamethrower is not <laughs> working. <laughs> oh, God, you got this flamethrower not working. You got these guys tied next to this, this mutating thing, and it's so gory. The blood is so bright. It's everywhere. Man, it was good. Windows gets- his oh, head the head! The head splits in two yeah. and like bites the other guy's head. Yeah. Oh, it was great! Great shot! Like just the whole scene is fantastic. Oh, it, yeah, it really is. And apparently, this was the scene that Carpenter read and said, "All right, this this yeah. is why I'm going to do this." This movie. was this this was the shot that he's like, "Okay, I'm doing this movie for this." Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Even when he tries to escape out the window and he gets him with a flamethrower and throws a grenade and blows him up, it's like just you got to get. Let's just. I, f- I found it. that odd though. Like he's burning, he's not moving. Then he throws a grenade, and like it's like the body disappears. It blows it up into pieces, lands in the snow. I'd rather just burn it till it's ash, you know. Nah, blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> but it is good this scene though because it shows us who is and who is not assimilated at this point. I like so we that can he- reset that. Okay, McCready yeah. definitely not. Charles, definitely not. And I like that he keeps going with the blood test as well. He doesn't stop. He still yep. checks the other two because yep. you never know. But yeah, you do find out that they everyone now left is all good. But they go to see Blair and he's not there. 
No, he's not. Bust open the floorboards and they find this massive ice tunnel with this spaceship. Yeah, that he's uh, that he's building. So wow, he's been he's been doing some work while he's, he's boy. Yep. But as they're there, as they come up, they see that Childs runs out of the place and the power goes off. All the generators are gone. Yeah, they're going to start freezing to death now. Yeah, and McCready makes the tough choice here that this thing cannot survive past us. We need to destroy everything, even if it means we all die too. Yeah, and is that's basically what the Norwegians got to. Hmm. They're like, yep, yeah, we're gonna. We need this thing dead, even if it means us. I did like the great point of view camera work here. Very reminiscent of the first Halloween, where it's just walking through the hallway, through the rooms, yep. and you got the beating score going at the same time. Yep. I thought that was really great. Absolutely. But they head back to the station and they just start blowing everything up. Just Let's just destroy this place. Mm. They end up going into the area where the generator was. I say was because it is gone. The whole thing's gone. And they start to set up the dynamite to like completely destroy the place. Where's the generator gone? I don't know. Oh, maybe- No, no, I was going to say Blair took it for his spaceship. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But it just happened. The generator just just went off. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's weird that it's gone. Yeah, but this is where Blair shows up. Bang! Grabs hold of Gary, and and this is where- Puts his hand inside his face skin, like- Yeah, this is is where he's- It's weird. He's- He's assimilating him. He's taking him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you see you see that good effect there where, like, it basically morphs over his face. And yeah. then the next shot, you see the whole hand thing is morphed over his head mm. and it's dragging him along. And I love, I love that you don't see Niles die or anything. He just walks off and that's the end of it. Silence. Even McCready doesn't even realize straight away. He's like, what's going on? He looks up and it's just, oh, shit. Like, there's no one here and it is dead silent. And as he's walking along, he's trying to figure out what's going on and then- Ripples along the ground coming at him. Fantastic. Yeah, that was a great shot. Yeah. It was really, really good. Because we hadn't seen the thing really be big yeah. at that point. And it comes up through the floor. Enormous. Because it is defending himself because he knows that the, he's supposed to be blowing up this dynamite. He rips a hole in the, in the floor and grabs this yeah. dynamite plunger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gets rid of that real quick. Comes up out the ground. This thing is terrifying. Mm. It looks fantastic. It, ne- it needed 50 technicians to run. It's insane. Oh, yeah. And it, but it's worth it. It looks so good. Can you imagine this if it was like some CGI stop motion animation that we're going to do? It would not nearly have the same effect. Nah. But luckily, McCready's got a bit of dynamite ready to go. Loves the final line. Fuck you two! And then you get basically the entire station exploding, blowing up, destroying everything. Yep, you do. And as you get McCready walking around the crash site, child shows up. Yeah, they have this little chat and it's... Gee, I tell you, watching this for the first time, blown away when the credits came up. Yeah. I had no idea this was the last scene. <laughs> I was like, what? What What happens? What is the end, damn you? Like, Leave it up to yourself. Oh, no. I, yeah. What do you think? <laughs> See, I, I think McCready is not the thing. I think he is fine because he blows up the thing and then he comes out. Like, if he was a thing, he wouldn't do that. Where's the opportunity for him to get assimilated after okay. that? So, here's the thing. <laughs> he could still be the thing when he blows up the thing. Okay? Why? Because the thing is act as an independent organism. So, the thing's main goal is to have its own safety, protect itself. Now, if he kills this larger thing, there is a chance that someone will come. They blow up the whole station so someone comes and saves them and he gets off the island okay. or the continent. I, um, I'm still thinking he's not. So, they said earlier that they only need a single cell to assimilate with someone, okay? And we saw that on the computer. We know all that. They also said in one scene that they should eat from cans now and not share any meals. Yeah. This point, you've got McCready having seemingly just taken a swig of this bottle, 
hand the bottle to Charles. Charles takes a, takes a swig and McCready gives his very wry smile and says, Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Okay. All right. Interesting. We know the thing can survive being frozen for a long period of time. So, we know each part of the thing, as I said, is independent and is out for its own survival. Could explain why Mac destroyed the ship and other parts of the thing. That's basically the argument for McCready being the thing there. Okay. Okay. In the little acting. I like it. The little smile. Yep. I don't mind that. All right. Let's talk about the other argument. Because Carpenter has actually come out and said one of them is a thing. Oh, okay. I would have said that Charles was the thing out of either of those people. Yeah. See, this one I like more, though. Cinematographer on set Dean Cundy has said that in an interview, he used a subtle light effect to tell the audience who was infected and who wasn't. He would have a slight sheen on the eyes of the humans and remove it if it was an infected person. In the ending, you can see Matt clearly still has this light effect, but Charles does not. Well, that's subtle. It holds up to the rest of the film as well, okay. especially in the blood test scene. You can see the ones who are humans have the sheen, the ones who do not have just the black eyes. There's no light reflecting off their eyes. Okay. On top of that, Carpenter later, like many, many years later, once yeah. all the hype around the ending had died down, had said in an interview he doesn't understand how people don't know who the thing is. McCready is breathing. Charles is not. Like, McCready has clear, they're in the cold, that, um, I don't know, visible breath yes. in the cold air. And Charles doesn't. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. Wow. That's good. There is another theory. Here we go. Oh, it's not really a theory, but there is another argument that- the, th- the bottle that McCready is holding, yeah. it does not actually contain alcohol. So, you can see when he's about to blow up the station, he has set up Molotov cocktails around. Mm-hmm. The argument is that inside that bottle is not alcohol, it's gasoline. So, that when he gives it to Charles and Charles have a- has a drink and doesn't react that it's gasoline, he- that's why he smiles because he realises, all right, let's see what happens. I know you're the thing now. Do we see McCready drink from this? No. We don't. We see him with the bottle and we assume, but we don't actually see him drink from it. So, that would take credence off the fact that McCready is the thing because you were saying he's going to get his cell Yeah, DNA but if he a- was the thing, yeah. he would have had a drink. Do you know what I mean? But is McCready the kind of guy to give a human the ability to drink gasoline? Is he going to take that chance? He- like, But if, if a human drinks gasoline, he's going to drink and go, ah, that's not alcohol. It's not like he drinks it and dies. He's going to get that smell You'll and get taste the smell as well. Yeah. Okay. So, I love the ending. It's I good. I loved that sort of ending where it ends. You get the credit that's like, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. And then you, I just could not help. Like, Google, 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 what is going on in this ending? Read all these theories. Watch a few YouTube videos on it. And as I'm doing this, I'm like, man, I, I care about this movie. Yeah. I care about the ending and what's happened here. And if you've got a movie that's able to make me do that- Man, it's a it's a big tick from me. Because all in all honesty, when I watched it for the first time, I was just I was watching it breezing. I watched this when we started our first challenge. Yep. When we first said to each other, let's try and watch do this the list. 250. Yeah. And I powered through I think this would have been one of the films I watched like when I was doing five in a in a day. Yep. I just watched them like, yep, cool, on to the next one. Let's go. I didn't think about it at all. Yeah. So I had a bit of a different experience the first time I watched it than you. That being said, watching it this time, I felt the same way. I'm like, wow, like that's a lot to think about and to wrap your head around yeah. and just get into. And I'm like, I can't wait to get into this discussion with you because it's worthy of it. Yeah, me too. I yeah. love these movies where there's there's no right answer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Once Upon a Time in America for me comes to mind as well where 
we had this great discussion, I feel, about the possibilities of what could have happened. Yep. And I think this movie is very similar in that regard where you can- There's no right answer. Like, you can come out and you can say, okay, here's a reason why it's this, here's a reason why it's this. But at the end of the day, it's your movie viewing experience and it can be what you want it to be. And I love when filmmakers give the audience that respect and that ability to form their own opinion and for their opinion to be right because it's right to them. These are the kind of movies that are perfect for things like this. Yes. Perfect for discussions Great on- choice, Dean. <laughs> you knew what was coming, didn't you? <laughs> Any last words? This film, for me, definitely went up on a, on a rewatch, focusing on it this time. Getting ready to talk to you about it. Three years ago, when I watched it, I thought it was fine and nothing special. And that was probably because I was just trying to power through movies at that point. Watch them, on to the next one. Can I just say, this reminds me, honestly, of TV shows. Now, I think of the way that a lot of TV shows are released now, especially the Netflix model, is they dump all 10 episodes, mm-hmm. all 12 episodes at once. You sit down, you do not have a breath in between episodes. Yeah. And I feel like that really does take away from the experience. They're having a week to stew to think about what's happened, what could happen. Just thinking of one of my favourite TV shows of all time, Breaking Bad, the reason that was so great in the last season is because every episode you spend all week talking with your friends at work. Podcasts. Podcasts, yeah. like what could happen? What What does this mean? What does this mean? Whereas if you've watched, if you watch it all at once, you lose that that mystery, that build up. And it's the same for you. You've watched, so, you were watching so many movies at once. You did not give yourself a chance to breathe, to reflect, to think about it. And I think, as you said, watching it now, you certainly would get a lot more out of it. Absolutely. It's a perfect example as well is Game of Thrones. Like you get one a week, you get yeah. perfect time to discuss it. You even get a year and a half break to discuss the whole series. Yep. And that works perfect. You get imagine if you got these these next these last six episodes that are coming out just dumped at you one go. Yeah. There you go, watch them all. How deflating! Oh no way! Like it'd be massive for a week, and then no one would talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. You want to get get your opportunity to take a breath after yep. each episode yep. and discuss it. And ex- and exactly what you said, having the time to sit back and watch this and think about it and come in here and talk to you about it, it's it's up the ante for me. Like this is a much better film than what I thought it was. Like the dark and isolated setting of the depth of Antarctica led to this claustrophobic and this personal horror film for me. The big theme of paranoia and mystery over who is or isn't an assimilation over the course of the film is great. It keeps you on your toes. The fantastic use of practical effects throughout this film made it so much more enjoyable. If this had gone a different route with its effects, it might have dropped it like lower for me. Kurt Russell is really good as the main role here. I mean, on a side note, that beard is stunning. We should have kept it forever. So luscious. I mean, that guy can ha- that guy can hold a beard like hateful eight. Come on! The film gradually progresses the thought of the thing throughout the whole film. It it brings in new information when it really needs to. It's it gets to a point where it hits on the paranoia. Everyone is out for blood. No one can trust anyone, and for- and because of that fact, you can't trust anyone as well. The ending is great. Lots to discuss there. Lots to get through. Everyone has their own interpretation of it. Like you said, there's no right or wrong answer, and that's. One of the good well, that's one of the good things about great films is that it leaves it open so you can get your own opinion of it. Yep. There's, it's not a it's not a closed book. This no. film is one of those rare films that goes up for me in my mind on a second rewatch. Highly entertaining film. It, yeah, I give I give it I give it a four. Dean, your thoughts. All right. The thing is a standout horror sci-fi movie for me. 
It is a marvellously paced movie that managed to continually increase my interest level until the credits very surprisingly started. It is a tense mystery that builds and as we learn more and more about these people and as they start to die off, the stakes are raised. The visual effects cannot be understated. They hold up today, which is kind of remarkable considering how old this film is and I can only imagine how insanely gruesome this would have looked in 1982. Compare it to films that are out now as well that don't even hold a candle to films like this, this type yeah. of film. It's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing for those films, to be honest. It's because it's practical. Yeah. Like, there's no effects that need to hold up, you know? There's no computer technology yeah. that is ageing. This is, this is, as you see it, is how it was happening on camera. Exactly. It's fantastic. We've become, and that's the thing, like, we've become so immune now to so much violence as well. So, for me to be affected by this violence, I was impressed. The characters are okay. It is definitely one of the weakest parts of the movie for me, though. Kurt Russell is great here as the closest thing we have to a hero. But after that, it does get a little thin for me. The titular thing is a clever villain who can be interpreted many ways, which I love. The fact that it can be anyone is a brilliant plot point that drives the entire film. Big thumbs up for me. Four stars as well. Excellent. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where does this sit in your rankings? Okay, for my rankings, I'm going to start... At number 18. So, at 18, I have The Prestige. At 19, I have It's a Wonderful Life. I feel like 18 is a good point to start for this one. For me, it is more interesting and more engaging than The Prestige for me. Okay. Next up, Beautiful Mind. Again, I feel like this is a stronger movie than A Beautiful Mind. Coming up against Django, though, that's where it's going to stop. I feel like Django is a better film. So, the thing is going to land at my new number 17. Okay, cool. What about you? All right, let's start at the number 19 spot against Vertigo. Is that where it stays? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, th- I think I, I like this better than Vertigo. Moving on to Once Upon a Time in America. I mean, they both have very good endings. They do. But I think as a film, I think The Thing is better than Once Upon a Time in America. On to Logan. And I think that's where it's going to stop because I do think Logan is a better film than The Thing. So, I'm going to put The Thing as my new number 18. Very good. Movies are bombing all over the country. They are posing as movies you already know. They may be in your theaters, your neighbor's home, or even your own. Why are you doing that voice? I don't know. (coughs) I thought it made me sound cool. It doesn't. I'm Jason Bishop, host of the Invasion of the Remake podcast with co-hosts Sam Stepanenko and Trish Coughlin. Join us each week as we rotate talking about your favorite films and their not-so-favorite remakes. We'll also dig deep to find forgotten films that we think are more worthy of remaking, complete with our own fantasy casting. You can get all 130 episodes and counting on... Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and all the best podcast providers, even... Frickin' YouTube. For the low, low price of absolutely nothing. Join the invasion. Subscribe today. Or we'll blow up your planet. Hey, listeners. We just want to take a quick second to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie-related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show, to get our name out there, and there are a couple of ways you could help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. You know, let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and all the other podcast catches you can search for, we're probably on there. 
And hey, if you find one we're not on, let us know so we can fix it. You can contact us on Twitter at IMDB Journey, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash IMDB Journey, our letterboxed page at letterboxd.com slash IMDB Journey, or you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. And Dean, we've got another awesome iTunes review here from the Mixed Media Forest podcast. The journey always leads to fun. Daniel and Dean are two of the hardest working podcasters in the biz. I can't even fathom where they get time for work, watching movies, podcasting, and the tons of promoting they do for the show. The IMDb journey is, and has been from the beginning, one of my favorite podcasts, and I recommend it highly. Subscribe today. Very glowing review there. Wow. Very humbled, I must say. Thanks so much. We really, really do appreciate hearing stuff like that. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, then why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down other films not on the IMDb Top 250. Yeah, that's right. What have we got coming up this week, Hendo? Well, Dean, we're into our last Edgar Wright film, and that is, of course, Baby Driver. It's what it's all come down to. The final film. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've just got to take a moment here to do a big shout out for our latest patrons. Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV podcast. Dan from Netflix and Swill. And Julio from The Contrarians. And we just want to give another shout out here to Joe Banyard who upped his tier level. And words can't amount to how much we appreciate you for and to all of our other patrons as well. Your generosity is outstanding. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash IMDB journey and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. Hi everyone, I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And we are Films on Trial. Basically, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. The films are suggested to us by our listeners and are then picked out of the hat at random, as are our roles. The first role is that of the defense who is trying to get the film placed on the hit list. And then there's the prosecutor who is trying to condemn the film. And most importantly, we have the judge who decides which list the film should be placed on based solely on the arguments put to them and not using their own opinion. There's also plenty of other things to keep you entertained, including some terrible songs, some poor xylophone playing, some questionable impressions, a caption contest, a quiz, and a whole host of banter. So, if you like the sounds of that, then why not check us out on your local podcast platform or on our website, filmsontrial.co.uk, where we will be in your ears. In the meantime, back to you, Daniel and Dean. Okay, let's get in two. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Uh... And boy, did we get a lot of reviews on Twitter. I had no idea how big this movie was. Is. Is, yes. It's is. huge. The love for this movie is universal, virtually. Is there a negative review there? I guess we'll wait and see. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at one from the cinema guys. The best horror movie ever made. Big call. Matt the Misfit says, hell yes. This and Alien are my favourite horror sci-fi movies of all time. The Thing is brilliant so many ways. Cast is great, direction is great, music is great, and the effects are outstanding. One here from a mad scientist. A unique setting for a smart horror film. It's a beautiful looking film with snow-filled landscapes, claustrophobic interiors, and amazingly designed creatures. The tension of not knowing who could be The Thing is gripping. A must-watch. 
from the Super Movie Bros. The thing used to be a thing that I felt like I was alone in loving. Its cult status has grown so much in the past 10 years, and I love it. Here's one from American Slacker. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Aliens, fire, paranoia. It's got everything. The scene in the beginning with the Norwegian workers warning them, a well-thought-out movie. The effects were groundbreaking. I actually wrote about this film for a paper in college. Commitment. Yeah, I wonder if you got an A. We couldn't possibly get through every review on Twitter, so this last one from Twitter here, from Smut Terry. Hard to have a great movie without a great ending, and the thing nails it. I'll be tuning into this one. Thanks, Smut Terry. Yeah, thanks for that, but let's go over to our emails, and we've got... This is a small-scale sci-fi horror flick following the same formula as Alien, a bunch of people in an isolated location trying to hunt down a monster who is picking them off one by one. On premise alone, you're not getting much, but they do it really well. What is not copied from Alien is the creature itself. This thing is pretty fucked up. I mean, just look at it. It has so many different appearances, along with the ability to shapeshift, you never really know what you're up against. The practical effects for the monster are outstanding. It's actually terrifying to look at, verging on disgusting in places. I liked Kurt Russell in this. Keith David was okay, most of the others sort of blended in together. I thought the end of the film was a bit slow. That's sort of when you realise it doesn't have any more tricks up its sleeve. As far as entertainment goes, it's pretty good, but not what I'd personally call a classic. Well, I hope our discussion on the ending there sort of makes you look at it in a different light. Yes, thanks for that, Shane. Alright, let's get into... That's my question! The question, jerk! Which is, what is your favourite Kurt Russell film? Here's one from the Hiccups and Happiness podcast. Russell is the shit in Sky High. From Michael Dean. Gotta go with The Thing. He's calm, cool and collected. From Patterson Avenue Fanatics. Big Trouble in Little China. Hmm. From Alyssa Romano. Overboard. The Geek Elite Media says Tango and Cash all day, every day. From Gidget Von LaRue. The Thing. It's perfection. From Spit and Polish, it's always a thing, but a really underrated film of Kurt's career is Soldier. Have you seen Soldier? I've not heard of it. Have you? I think I heard of it. Vaguely. Obviously, (laughs) I haven't seen it. (laughs) Clearly underrated then. From Mackenzie Lambert, Escape from New York. Kurt Russell at peak bad arsery. Joanne says Silkwood. From Netflix a day, best is probably the thing. My favourite, however, is probably Big Trouble in Little China. His swagger in that film is somehow simultaneously badass and hilarious. Sam from the Movie Reviews and 20Qs podcast said, The Thing is his pinnacle. Escape from New York is also awesome. And being one of like three people in New Zealand who likes ice hockey, I've got a soft spot for Miracle. From Mike, Mike and Oscar, favourite film? The Thing. Favourite performance though? Stuntman Mike from Death Proof. Stuntman Mike. And let's go to the last one here from our good buddy, John Mark Junkins, The Thing. But Snake Plissken is easily the best character name of all time. Hot take. All right, that's going to do it for Twitter. Let's go over to Facebook here. One from our buddy, Chris Broderick. I have a very special place in my heart for Sky High. From Chris Wooldridge, Tombstone, for the stash alone. And let's go to the last one here from Reese McKenzie, Bone Tomahawk. Mmm. Thank you very much, everyone, for your answers. But, Dean, let's get into our top five Kurt Russell films. Why don't you kick it off for us? Okay, before I get into my top five Kurt Russell films of all time, I must put a little caveat at the start. I have not seen a lot of Kurt Russell films. Okay. I have not seen Sky Sky High, whatever that is, Soldier, Escape from New York, or the other one. Okay. So, my number five... I just need to put excuses in for this number five, that's all. <laughs> no excuses, mate. No excuses. It's Stargate. Okay. Oh, I, haven't, I haven't seen Stargate. Oh, it's shit. 
<laughs> but it's like wonderfully shit. So I've got a soft spot for Stargate. Fair enough. Uh, well, I don't know. I think I've seen like 12 Kurt Russell films. So again, I haven't seen everything. I think all the ones you mentioned just then, yeah. I don't think I've seen either. Oh, okay. Yep. So my number five is a very recent Kurt Russell film, The Christmas Chronicles. Ah. Yeah. My number four is Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Wow, your list must be shit. Yeah, yeah mate. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, my number four is Furious 7. Ugh. What? Okay. Don't give me suddenly, suddenly, my list doesn't look that bad. <laughs> uh, number three for me, Death Proof. Okay, my number three is Deepwater Horizon. Have you seen that? I have. I just don't remember him in it, so I didn't put it on my list. Okay. If only there was a way you could get on the internet and find out what movies Kurt Russell has been in that you've seen. Hmm. No, might I be, know, I know be, he's in it. Might be something for you to look into. But if I have seen it and can't remember him, then I'm like, eh. This is Kurt Russell films, not Kurt Russell performances. Yeah, I know, but I, I, I make it my own. Uh, All right, my number two. Do what you want with your guys I will. Like you two and your Stargate. This is a guy who put... I don't even remember your list. <laughs> That's how bad it is. Uh, all right, my number two, the much talked about The Thing. Ditto, my friend. Number two for me, The Thing. Then I assume we have the same number one. Which I am stunned that no one put up in Twitter or on Facebook. Yeah, tell me about it. He's the main character in this film. And it's a great film. And it's recent. And it's The Hateful Eight. And it's, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. Glad we ended up on the same page there. And for next week's question of the week, still in the theme of the thing, it's going to be, what is your favourite 80s horror film? I expect a lot of different answers here. Yep, and that will obviously be our top five for the week as well. All right, let's take a look at last week's Pod V Pod 13 results, where you and I had a draft in films released in January, also known as the Dump Month. And I was Team 1, and I swear it was random that I was Team 1. I'm telling you (laughs) That's, that's how it always is. I just do a randomization. I turn out to be number one. My team was Before Sunrise, Paddington 2, Paddington, Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, and Smoke and Aces. And my team was City of God, Taken from Dust or Dawn, Cloverfield, and Split. Let's see what people thought, Dean. Paul at the Countdown Podcast says, Dean, by a million miles, from Dustal Dawn and City of God. And then he's put a gif up of, girl, forget about it. Uncanny. <laughs> <laughs> Mackenzie Lambert says, Dr. Strangelove. Daniel secured my vote. And the Escape Pod said, the team with both Paddington movies isn't winning? Excuse me? Yeah, I agree. Because after 61 votes... Dean crushed it. 59% to you. Well done, sir. Well done. I, th- I honestly think you're having both Paddington movies. You really, you didn't do yourself any favours. No, I think you had a, a top quality two there with City of God and Taken. I think that's a, a decent list. Yeah, much better than yours. I mean, you had smoking aces, for God's sake. I don't think that was the be all end all, to be honest. <laughs> all right. And since that rounds out our pod v pod from last week, I ended up on a three to two victory here. So I've well got three done, films to give you. Sir. And I have two films to give you. All right. So I will start off first here. My first film I'm giving you is a prequel to a film that I've already given you that you loved so much that you gave it five stars. I'm talking about the prequel to Train to Busan, Soul Station. What? Yes. Is did this, So this came out after, obviously, it's yes. a prequel. Uh, okay. Interesting. I was not aware that it existed. I only found out about it recently, so I thought, well, this is perfect, since I do owe you a couple of movies. Okay. What's your first film for me, mate? Uh, the first one I'm going to give you is The English Patient. You bastard, you son <laughs> Really? Yes. It's like three hours long. Watch it. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Oh, man. It is not three hours long. 
It is two hours and fifty nine. No, it's not. Is it, it going to feel like three hours long? It'll feel like six. Damn it! What did I do to you? I just gave you a good film, apparently. All right, my second film for you. I know how you like to bang on about how prison films they need to be quote unquote realistic, and your interpretation of realistic is brutal and violent, and everyone's an asshole, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to give you a movie that depicts that as well. I'm giving you Starred Up. Another movie I've never heard of. Well, you didn't hear about Train to Busan until I told you. I'm so. not complaining. Sounds like you are. You would say that. Okay, the next film I'm giving you, another Best Picture winner, The Last Emperor. Okay, I can stomach that a bit more. Really? Yeah, uh, I, haven't, I haven't heard anything. I, I don't know. Like, i got to see these films eventually. Very high rating. So, yeah, okay, well, they won Best Picture, so there must be something to them. Exactly. That's, that's better. Have some positivity in your life. Well, my last film I'm giving you is a film that came out last year. It's divisive, to say the least. I've heard people say it's a five-star, and I've heard people say it is one of the most garbage, awful films they've ever seen. I'm giving you Life Itself. I've heard bad things. (laughs) I've heard real bad things, and I feel like I'm going to hate this movie. Have you seen it? No. (laughs) All right, let's take a look at the second round in the best 1950s film tournament. We've got eight matches here once again. The first match here is the number one overall seed, 12 Angry Men, taking on the 17 seed, Dial M for Murder. Next up, we've got the eighth seed, North by Northwest, up against the ninth seed, Singing in the Rain. Coming up next is the fourth seed, Sunset Boulevard, against the 20th seed, Ben-Hur. Next battle sees number five, Paths of Glory, up against the number 12, Some Like It Hot. Number two overall, Seven Samurai, is up against the number 15 seed on the waterfront. Number seven is Vertigo, and that's up against the number 10, which is Rashomon. Next up is number three, Rear Window, against number 14, The Bridge on the River Kwai. And lastly, we've got number six, Witness for the Prosecution, against the number 11, All About Eve. So we'll put those polls up about 24 hours after the episode is released, and you guys can go vote on which of your favourite movies. So, what's next? All right, it's time to find out what our next movie's going to be. Now, I've gone over this. I did say, you know, I'm going to be giving out some films that are five stars for me. There's films that I want to be re-watching that I haven't seen in a long time, etc., etc. This is This is going to be one of these ones where I have not seen this film in probably 15 years. That is unforgivable. It's not that. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was so hoping. It is a film that I probably haven't seen since high school. Probably watched it during high school, um, I think. It is a coming-of-age film from the 80s. I am talking about Rob Reiner's Stand By Me. Okay, nice. Yeah, I haven't seen it. So you've seen it, it once. I've seen it once, a very long time ago. I've seen heaps. Yeah? Yeah. Nice, okay. So, That's good. Yeah, it's, it's something I really wanted to check out again. I knew it was on the list, and why not? Why not? It's certainly a uh, different tone from the thing. Absolutely. <laughs> Although there are dead bodies in Stand By Me. Just the one. Just the one. Now, Oops, spo- Spoiler alert. <laughs> now, even though that is our next breakdown film, that won't be coming out for a long time right now because obviously next week we have our Pod V Pod 14. And then after that, we've got a back-to-back episode coming up where we're going to be doing our Academy Awards Challenge, yep. which we'll get into at that point. And then after that, we're going to be doing our top 20 films of 2018. Yeah, important to note, we are doing it later than most people because we just wanted to make sure we'd seen all the ones that we felt could possibly get in there. Yeah, we didn't want to yeah, jump the gun and do a list and then we see a film and we love it and it would have been in the list and then we're you know kicking ourselves for not waiting. So we feel like we've got a couple more weeks, we can get out the ones we need to and then it'll be a much more fluent list. Yes. As well as that, if you are one of our valued patrons, we are doing an extended 
list where we're going to be ranking all the films we've watched for the year. And that's a lot of films. So that's, that's a, a big list. That's going to be a big list. That's going to be a big day. <laughs> and then after that, Dean, it's episode 50 of the IMDb Journey podcast. And we've got a big special event coming up. So stay tuned for that. More details to come. But until next week, thank you very much, listeners. We will see you next week for Pod v Pod 14. Bye. Bye.